The Vape Passion Show, episode 54. In this episode, we're going to talk about if Apple is creating a vaporizer, Apple banning vaping apps, the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition wins their court case in Indiana, underage vape shop stings in Colorado, Arizona proposing a 95% wholesale tax, air purification systems for vapor, and using Cool Whip to taste flavor concentrates. Welcome back to The Vape Passion Show. This is episode 54. I'm recording this on Sunday, February 5th, 2017. So no new products to talk about this week. Well, actually, I did get a cheap scale, a cheap scale from Gearbest uh, to use for DIY e-juice, um, but it's kind of crappy and it, it smells toxic, so I'm, I'm not too happy about that. It was only $10 and it'll probably let me make larger bottles than my other scale did, so I'll try to make it work. I'll probably order another scale later, but I just wanted to see if Gearbest's cheap scales were useful at all so that I could tell you guys whether or not they're worth buying. But I'd say stay away from them, the scales from Gearbest, and instead spend $25 on the, on the LB501 from Amer American Way Scales. Um, my other scale is an, an American Way Scale, and uh, it works great, but I accidentally bought a, a model that's too small for making a, anything bigger than a 10 mil bottle of e-juice. So it's, that's why I needed another one. Oh, and I published a new review on my YouTube channel for the iJoy XOS tank. It's actually a pretty nice sub-ohm tank with a very good flavor. It's very affordable at only $20, and I think it's worth the price. It's nothing I'd call amazing, but uh, it's a nice tank that I've been enjoying using. I also put up a new post on my blog, vapepassion.com, with the pictures that I took when I went to the, the big industry show last year, uh, back in April. Uh, I totally forgot about these pictures until I started looking through my hard drive. So I put them all up on Flickr and put up a gallery on my website if you want to look at them. So you can go to my website to check those out, or you can go to my blog post and click the link to go directly to the Flickr gallery where you can read the descriptions under each picture and uh, get my thoughts about all the companies that I met and the e-juices that I tried. So I think that's about all I have for personal stuff this week. Uh, not a lot going on, really. Uh, and I'm not going to do a beer pairing this week because I'm recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, after I finish recording this, I'm headed over to my mom's house to watch the game where I'm going to have a couple of beers, so I don't want to catch a buzz before I leave. I'm not a fan of the Falcons or the Patriots, so I don't really care who wins, but I'll probably root for the Falcons since they've never won a Super Bowl before uh, in, the, in the entire history of their franchise. So that's probably who I'll go with. And before I jump into it, um, if you've watched the guy, Tony, from the Vapor Trail channel, he started a new channel called uh, The Picky Eater. And one of his earlier episodes was um, the sandwich that he made. It's a peanut butter and Velveeta cheese sandwich. He eats it with Doritos and with chocolate milk. Now, I, I never eat like this, but it just so happened that I, I have all of these ingredients on me at this time because my, my uh, daughter had a, a birthday party a couple of weeks ago, so we bought a bunch of stuff, uh, snacks for the party. I had everything that I needed to make the sandwich, so I did it, and I'm going to try it here on the show. So here we go. You can see peanut butter and Velveeta cheese. Very weird combination, and that's a lot of cheese, but that's how he says to make it. It's very thick, so let's try it. Yeah, well, it's not that bad. It's not as gross as I thought it was going to be. Um, the the Velveeta cheese, it kind of just makes it seem more like the peanut butter is creamier. You barely even taste the cheese, or at least I don't. When I was a kid, one of my friends, he used to eat uh, peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches, which which also sounds pretty gross, but I tried it then too, and really all it does is it makes the peanut butter creamier. Uh, you don't even taste the mayonnaise. So that's really, it kind of seems like that's exactly what's happening here. Um, Tony from the Vapor Trail channel, or the Picky Eater channel, he's, he recommends eating it with Doritos. Um, and milk. And he says that all three of those things just make the perfect combination. Um, I suppose <laughs> it's uh, they're all very good things. And I think this is probably just a meal that he ate as a kid and it, it brings back memories or something. I don't know. It's, he grew up on it, I suppose. So 
it's just one of those things. I, I, I do agree that they're all good, but I don't see it as a, some kind of magical combination. But yeah, I was, I was, I think that's fun to try something like this. Um, it's pretty good. All right. So with that out of the way, let's get into the topics this week. So is Apple creating a vaporizer? There was a ton of news last week about Apple potentially getting into the vape space after Apple was awarded a new patent for a sublimator vaporizer slash vaporizer. Experts have already pretty much debunked the idea of Apple getting into the e-cig industry, though. The guys at MacRumors.com, they say that the, and here's their words, the patent relates to a semiconductor device fabrication process that Apple uses to create chips for their devices, end quote. So it's believed that this patent relates to the manufacturing process of semiconductors, semiconductors. So a substance within a canister will be used to vaporize a substance during an etching process. Also, the inventor that's listed on the patent is Tetsuya Ishikawa, who already holds several patents related to semiconductor fabrication. So it looks pretty certain that this new patent has nothing to do with electronic cigarettes. And in other news related to Apple, Apple is banning vaping apps on the store, on the App Store. So according to the popular vaping forum, Planet of the Vapes, Apple has confirmed that they will no longer accept new apps on the App Store that have content related to nicotine use. They're currently not removing apps that are already on the store, but they aren't allowing these apps to be updated by their developers. This was discovered after Planet of the Vapes submitted an update of their app to Apple in November, and then finally received a response on January 24th of this year. Apple specifically said in their email, We found that your app facilitates the sale or promotes the use of tobacco or nicotine-related paraphernalia, including, but not limited to, cigarettes, pipes, hookahs, and or e-cigarettes, which is not permitted on the App Store. After a phone call with a higher-up Apple employee, they received confirmation that Apple's policies have changed and now explicitly prohibit any promotion of the use of tobacco, including electronic cigarettes. So this looks like Apple has a clear misunderstanding of vaping. Hopefully they can educate themselves on the differences of vaping versus smoking and, and eventually remove e-cigs from their new policy. According to Planet of the Vapes, they believe that there's somewhere around 20,000 to 50,000 vape-related apps on the App Store. That's a ton of apps. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. They just did a Google search, I think. And I also wonder if Apple is including apps like coil calculators, but it looks like these app makers will have to move to Android devices if they aren't already on there. And after hearing this news, something that really worries me is that I run a vaping podcast that is listed in iTunes. And I, I really hope that they don't eventually ban e-cig related podcasts, but you know, I wouldn't doubt it. I'm also on Stitcher and Google Play, but it would still suck to lose my spot on iTunes. All right, let's move on to the next topic. So the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition wins their court case in Indiana. So we finally have an update on the mess of vaping regulations happening in Indiana. And if you don't know what's happening, the story is that a law took effect in Indiana in July, um, on July 1st of 2016, that practically killed the vaping industry in that state. State legislators claimed that the law was supposed to make consumers safe in an unregulated industry. Um, the law required that all e-juice manufacturers who wanted to sell e-juice in Indiana had to be certified by a security firm who met very specific set of standards. A few of these standards were that the security firm needed a certified architectural hardware consultant and a certified rolling steel fire door technician on staff, both of which are not common certifications in the security industry. And on top of that, those employees also needed to be an employee with it with the security company for at least a year. Those requirements were so specific that there was only one security firm in the entire country who met those standards, a company named Mulhops. And interestingly enough, they were located in, in Indiana. There were actually a lot of claims that Mulhops played a major role in getting this bill in place. The bill also had a, a strange rule that required all Aegis makers to be certified by June 30th of the year. And after that date, no business could ever again be submitted for approval. Not only that, but Aegis manufacturers were at the mercy of Mulhops. If Mulhops didn't want to consider a business for approval, that e-juice maker was out of luck. And sure enough, Mulhops ended up ignoring most, uh, 
requests and only approved seven Aegis manufacturers from around the country. The bill basically resulted in a monopoly for the security firm and the seven Aegis manufacturers that they approved, only four of which were actually making Aegis at the time. The other three haven't even started manufacturing yet. So as you can see, the whole thing is a mess. It's strange enough that being certified by a security company makes an Aegis safer, but all of these other crazy requirements uh, started leading people to believe that there was a massive amount of corruption going on in Indiana. And after catching a lot of flack, Indiana's legislators finally admitted that had, they had made a mistake in passing the bill as it was written, but it was already too late by that point. Uh, many vape shops had already gone out of business um, since they could only sell a few brands of e-juice, and they couldn't just reverse the bill on the spot after realizing it was a mistake. So it's going to take some time to get the bill changed. Well, that day is now closer than ever. So five months ago, uh, the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition filed a lawsuit against the state of Indiana that claimed, among other things, that Indiana had no authority to regulate out-of-state businesses or out-of-state transactions. This is based on the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution, which prohibits extraterritorial legislation. On January 30th of this year, the U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled in favor of the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition. The court declared that the security, clean room, and audit provisions on out-of-state businesses violates that Commerce Clause. The court also stated that by imposing the requirements of the bill on out-of-state transactions, it would pose a risk of future inconsistent regulations that would burden interstate commerce. This is a huge win for Indiana vapors and, and really the vape industry as a whole. If the courts had ruled in favor of the state, these kinds of regulations could have spread to other states. So for now, nothing has changed. Um, Amy Lane, the president of the Indiana Smoke Free Alliance, has released a statement about all of this saying that out-of-state companies still can't sell into Indiana because they need a permit from the Indiana Alcohol and Tobacco Commission. The permit application closed on June 30th, 2016, and it's not planned to be reopened uh, because of that law. And in-state retailers still must follow the current law and can only purchase from the seven certified e-juice manufacturers. So while it looks like not much has changed for Indiana as far as what can be sold there, this recent ruling sends a powerful message and is a, a great first step in getting the regulations as a whole eventually changed. All right, let's talk about another topic. So there are underage vape shop stings happening in Colorado. So according to the Safata SFATA Colorado chapter Facebook page, there were undercover stings happening throughout Colorado starting around January 27th. So what happens is that an underage customer will come into the shop, tell a story, and try to confuse the vape shop employee. If the employee makes the sale, the employee will receive a ticket and a court date. One shop in the Denver area actually admitted to having been busted in the sting. Uh, this was Rhino Vapes in Denver which is actually a pretty nice shop that I've been to. Uh, what happened with Rhino Vapes is that they have a new hire on staff who has been shadowed for at least two weeks by the owner, I believe. And the owner um, left for 10 minutes to make a bank run and then came back to find that they had been busted. The new employee, I guess, got nervous and was certain that she looked older. That's what he told the owner, but nope, he didn't card her and now he has to go to court. Rhino Vapes is now expecting at least a monthly visit uh, in these stings. This was an operation that was conducted by Adams County, subcontracted by the federal government. So if you run a vape shop or even work in a vape shop, card everyone. It's not worth getting a ticket in court costs. And the government is subcontracting uh, counties you know, across the country. So this isn't just happening in Colorado. It, it, I just happened to get this news from Colorado. So um, no matter where you're at, make sure you're, you're carding people. All right, the next topic here, Arizona is proposing a 95% wholesale tax. So this 95% wholesale tax on vapor products is in the bill SB 1517. Um, this is the kind of tax that would destroy vaping in Arizona. 
businesses wouldn't be able to afford those kinds of taxes, and if they tried, they'd have to pass those costs on to the consumers. Clearly, the legislators who are proposing this bill simply want to kill vaping in the state. Mount Baker Vapor, who is a large e-juice manufacturer located in Arizona, put together a list of senators and representatives who residents can call to voice objections to the bill. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Casa.org also has a call to action page on their site with some information that you can tell your senators. And this really sucks for everyone in Arizona, but I can't imagine what the owners of Mount Baker Vapor are thinking right now because you might recall that Mount Baker Vapor actually was originally located in Washington State, and they relocated from Washington State to Arizona after Washington proposed a 95% tax on vaping products. And now Arizona is doing the exact same thing. So it really puts Mount Baker Vapor in a, a really bad position. Okay, so let's move on to another topic. So last week I talked about a new product that a lot of people are talking about now uh, called the Vape Nut. It's a small pu air purification system designed specifically for smoke and vapor. Um, and this got me thinking about other options for eliminating vapor. So I decided to do a little research. So let's talk about air purification systems for vapor. Now most vapors have probably thought about ways of, of removing vapor in the room, or at least trying to keep it to a minimum. This could be for a variety of reasons. Uh, for example, maybe your significant other hates being in a room full of vapor, or maybe you're tired of cleaning up the thin film buildup that gets on everything due to the VG of the e-juice. Okay, so first let's talk about what you need to look for in an air purification system. So when buying an air purification system for vapor, the first thing to consider is how well you want it to filter the vapor. According to tests, e-cigarette vapor has a median size of about 0.18 to 0.27 microns which is very small. True HEPA filters can filter out 99.77% of particles larger than 0.03 microns, which makes true HEPA filters perfect for dissipating vapor. Um, and I say true HEPA because that's actually what it's called. It's called true HEPA filters. There are also other HEPA filters that don't work as well. The, the um, HEPA filters that are not labeled as true HEPA filters can't filter out anything below two microns and that won't capture vapor particles. If you want to go the cheap route here, you can buy a simple HEPA filter from Amazon for about $30 and then every time you take a hit, you can blow your vapor through it. Um, it's not an elegant solution, but it should work. And HEPA filters, they are good for filtering out particles, but they don't deodorize. Um, this is where carbon filters come in handy. And carbon activated filters, they absorb what the HEPA filter can't filter, uh, such as odor and chemicals smaller than 0.03 microns. So let's talk about what your options are. Um, first, the vape nut. So according to the manufacturers, the vape nut is designed to be used specifically for vapor. If you see videos of this thing in action, it appears to work great, but only when you blow directly into it. If you clad up the room, it doesn't work fast enough. But if you blow right towards it, the vapor goes in and nothing comes out. So. Works, seems to work pretty well. It's rated for about 50 square feet, which is about the size of a small bedroom. The creators of the vape nut haven't discussed any of the specs of the filters, at least not that I can find. So I have no idea if they're using HEPA filters or carbon filters, but based on its performance, I'm assuming it's using both. Um, it comes with two filters that can be washed and reused. Something to note here though is that most reusable air purif purifier filters on the market are not true HEPA filters and they can't capture particles smaller than two microns. So this is probably the case for the vape nut, which means there might be a better air purifier on the market for vapors. The vape nut also has a sensor that automatically senses the amount of vapor in the room and the fan will adjust between four different levels to get the vapor filtered out. You can also adjust the fan manually if you'd prefer. The biggest drawback of the vape nut is the price, which is $120. That's a lot for a, a small system like this. And I get the feeling it's not much different than similar and much cheaper air purification systems on the market. Okay, now let's talk about tabletop air purifiers. So 
there have been air purification systems on the market for a long time now. And uh, lo these systems are very much like the vape nut. And in fact, many of these systems, they actually specifically talk about filtering out smoke. None talks about sm filtering out vapor, but um, you get the idea. So some popular brands include uh, brands like Honeywell and Homes. You might have heard of those. Um, air purifiers like the tabletop models from Honeywell or Homes, many of them anyway, use true HEPA filters with built-in carbon pre-filters. Now you have to be careful about what you buy here. Uh, for example, Febreze, they sell a very popular tabletop model uh, that uses HEPA filters, but not true HEPA filters. Um, I've seen Vapors recommend this model, which is why I bring it up. But since it can only filter particles larger than two microns, there are better models that you can buy. You can find the tabletop models from Amazon, Walmart, or Target for as low as $40. Um, that's a huge difference in price from the $120 price tag of the vape nut. Uh, there are a couple of downsides here though. Most air purifiers don't have washable filters, like the vape nut, although this isn't the case of all pure air purifiers. Some models do have washable filters, but you need to do a lot of searching to find them. And like I mentioned with the vape nut, washable filters usually aren't able to capture particles smaller than two microns. So if you go with a replaceable filter model, uh, filters usually cost around $10 for a four pack, so it's not expensive. And these other models, uh, unlike the vape nut, they can't sense vapor and adjust the fan strength accordingly, so that might be important to you. Now these models from Homes or Honeywell, they, they are typically recommended for rooms about 85 square feet, which is actually better than the vape nut. All right, now let's talk about tower and floor air purifiers. So if you have a large room that you wanna clean, or if you wanna clean the air in the room faster, you might want to consider a larger air purifier. Um, smaller tower models, they start around $70, and then they go up from there, depending on the size of the system. For example, Homes, they sell a tower model for about $70 that will clean a room of about 150 square feet. Or you can get a Honeywell floor console for about $150 that can handle 390 square feet. And you can keep going up from there uh, in price and size. All right, now let's talk about inline fans. So if you're looking for something heavy duty, you can do what weed growers use. Uh, they install an inline fan that exhausts to the outside. So connected to that fan is a carbon filter. Uh, the pre-filter in these setups will clean the air of particles, and then the carbon deodorizes the air. I don't see anything cheap in this realm. You can expect to spend upwards of at least $100. Um, most of them are much more expensive than that, and then you still need to figure out how to, how to install it. Um, if you're looking for something designed for home use, a smaller air purifier is probably a better option. All right, and finally, the last option, a summer fan with a shirt hanging over it. If you want to go super cheap, just get a fan and hang a shirt over it and point the fan towards the window. <laughs> okay, so that probably won't work very well or for very long. Uh, just get a cheap air purifier like, like the the tabletop models I mentioned earlier. All right, and let's talk about some other considerations to keep in mind here. If you're simply blowing vapor into the room in every direction around you, none of these options are gonna work great. Uh, they all work best by blowing vapor directly into them. Something else to keep in mind with all of these options is that vapor from e-cigs is known to create a film on objects over a period of time. Uh, most people commonly report issues like damaged electronics, uh, such as computers and monitors, in rooms where they vape often. With that said, the vape nut is advertised specifically to be used with vapor, so it might last longer than the other options I've mentioned. But then again, it might not. Um, any of these other options might not have any issue at all with vapor, but it's something that I wanted to mention. And finally, some of these systems are louder than others. The vape nut claims to be quieter than 50 decibels. Most other manufacturers of air purifiers, they don't really talk about decibel levels. So, but I've heard that like models like the Febreze tabletop model, which is actually one I don't recommend, but is the only one I could find information on. Um, it's quieter than the vape nut. So uh, if you can, go to the store and check out models in person and see how loud they are.
or send an email to the company that of the model that you're interested in buying. All right, so I hope that was helpful for uh, for any of you out there looking for an air purification system. I actually think I am going to get one, and I'm really considering the $40 Homes model. Okay, and the last topic I have this week is using Cool Whip to taste flavor concentrates. So one more quick tip that I learned from Wayne from DIY or DieVaping.com while he was a guest on Jack Vape Show on uh, January 27th. Um, they were talking about Matt Topolsky. He's the chief mixologist at Charlie Nobles. And uh, Wayne mentioned a, a tip that he got from Matt about how to test flavorings. So when you test a flavor, put a drop of flavoring on Cool Whip or whipped cream, which will emulate the flavor better than licking it off of your hand or uh, dripping it into water and then swishing it around in your mouth. He says that uh, doing it on Cool Whip will give you a much better representation of the flavor. And I decided to give this a quick test. I tested Capella's Juicy Orange in four different ways. First, I tasted a drop off the back of my hand, uh, which was strong and bitter, but definitely an orange flavor. The second test was two drops in an ounce of water, and the flavor was similar to the first, but not as strong and nowhere near as bitter. The third test was with Ready Whip. The flavor is very good, but also very sweet. Ready Whip seems to have a lot of sugars in it, so I don't know how accurate it is due to the, all those sugars, due to the sweetness. And then the final test was with Cool Whip. Um, cool Whip definitely seemed to be the most accurate to me. It wasn't too sweet, and the flavor of the concentrate really comes out. And then I made a batch of 30PG, 70VG, single flavor e-juice with Juicy Orange at 6% and then vaped it. So after the vape test, the hand lick was definitely ruled out. Um, it was not at all accurate and it was way too strong and bitter. The water test was okay, but the flavor was just a little too muted for me. I suppose I could have added more drops to it, but um, the Ready Whip and the Cool Whip tests were much closer to the vape test. Now, I should point out that I'm not even close to being anywhere near an expert um, when it comes to DIY e-juice making. Um, especially when it comes to tasting flavors to determine how they might work in an e-juice. Um, I just don't fully understand it. Maybe with some time I probably would, but at this point I don't. There are also some things I don't totally know about the Cool Whip method. For example, is it supposed to emulate the flavors as if it's mixed with other flavorings or with a sweetener? Or am I supposed to ignore the flavor of the Cool Whip or the Ready Whip? I'm, I'm just not sure. I'd say that based on all of the tests that I did, uh, either Cool Whip or Whipped Cream are better than Ready Whip. Based on all the, these tests though, um, I, I do think that Cool Whip is a, a really good option for figuring out what a flavor might taste like in an e-juice. Okay, that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. If you want to support the show, consider donating to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion, and I'm also on Facebook if you want to leave me a comment. If you like the show, I'd love it if you gave me a review on iTunes. You can also catch the video version of the podcast on YouTube. If you'd like to get notifications of new reviews or of the show, you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me anytime at alex at vapepassion.com. All right, I'll see you next week. 